chapter 11 this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, go ahead and grab one in the pew in front of you, and we'll be on page 865. How's everybody doing this morning? Happy Father's Day. That's uh, the illustrious holiday was invented in Spokane. Does everybody know this? The church in Spokane decided to celebrate Father's Day because the mothers were getting all the attention, and and uh, Hallmark went, that's a good idea. <laughs> Matthew 11. So uh, when I was 16 years old, I uh, got a job at Qdoba Mexican Grill. It wasn't called that at the time. It was called Zteca Mexican Grill. Uh, that's a different story. But um, you, we all know it today as Qdoba. And I was, my primary job was to make people burritos. I got pretty good at making burritos. But when things were slow, customer-wise, I got to go back in the kitchen and make guacamole and salsa and grilled chicken and stuff. And as a 16-year-old, the, the first thing that I experienced um, making salsa was cutting tomatoes. And so I was given this incredibly large, incredibly sharp knife to cut these tomatoes with. But then the other thing I was given was a knife safety glove. If you've, ever, if you've ever been in the restaurant field and you've experienced a knife safety glove, it's like, it's like Camelot, like when you're, when you're getting your armor on to go um, joust somebody, if you're familiar with that kind of idea, and you've got like chainmail armor on. It's like that, but just a glove. And it's bigger than your hand, always bigger than your hand, and it's metal. And the point of it is, is, is you can't cut through it. So, so the idea is it's going to keep you safe while you cut these tomatoes. And it's going to let you cut faster because you don't have to worry about your fingers. You can just go for it. But very early on, everyone in the restaurant industry learns that no one can cut anything with a knife safety glove on. It's just not possible. It's, it's bulky and cumbersome and you can't hold it and it just, just doesn't work. So very quickly, you take this tool that has been devised to help you do something better and you discard it because it's not working. Maybe you, maybe you have something like that in your kitchen. Maybe it was something that you saw on TV and you said, I need that, and you ordered it. And it turns out it didn't really work as well as you'd hoped it would. This morning, Jesus is going to talk about something called a yoke. And there's two kinds of yokes in the ancient world and in the modern world. There's a, there's a yoke for animals, and this is like an M-shaped wooden device, and two oxen or two horses would go under the arches of this yoke, and they would use the yoke to help them pull a load. Um, you see that kind of a metaphor talked about in the Bible when, when Paul says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. He's making the point that if you both have to be going the same direction if you want to get anything done. And if, if you're going separately, if you're yoked together, but you're going different directions, it doesn't work. But what Jesus is talking about in this passage is, is a personal yoke. And, and Karis, I've got a picture of, this is a sketch from an old Egyptian painting. Uh, and that guy's got a yoke on. It's like, it's a wooden bar that goes over your shoulder and it holds buckets or bags or something. Uh, and, and what it's meant to do, it's a tool that's meant to help you carry things more efficiently. Uh, a group of workmen with yokes 
could carry more weight, more safely, uh, more efficiently, faster. And much like the knife safety glove, the yoke was a tool that was supposed to help you do something, complete a task better. You can set that down, Karis. Um, and, and during the, the time of Jesus in the first century, the idea of a yoke was pretty um, common. The rabbis, the teachers would say things like, take on the yoke of the Torah. Take on the yoke of the law. This, is, this would be God's word. Take on, take on the yoke of wisdom. And the point of this was, if you study these things, if you follow these things, if you put yourself under these things, this is going to be a tool to help you carry the burden of life better than you would be able to without it. But the problem that the people in Jesus' day were running into was the rabbis, the teachers, they added so much to God's word, so many extra rules and extra burdens that they made the yoke so big that the tool that was supposed to help them carry their burdens more easily actually became harder on their lives. The yoke became too heavy. The tool was not useful anymore. And this is the context that Jesus is teaching in. And, and, and I, I feel like we, we talk about this a lot, but it's super important. Like Jesus is not, Jesus didn't just drop straight out from heaven and say a bunch of crazy stuff that no one understood. He was part of the world that he lived in. That's what we talk about the incarnation. Jesus became one of us. He lived and breathed in this world and he read and he studied and he learned and he heard from sources around him. And the way he taught, he brought those things into his teaching. And so he knows that everybody around him, everybody hearing his message knows what a yoke is and, and knows that the yoke of the Torah is what is expected of them. And he, he changes it a little bit. And it's, it's pretty interesting the way he changes it. Last week, we ended in verse 27, uh, where Jesus said, no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. And, and I said that that's a pretty crazy idea, especially in the world today, that someone would say, I am the exclusive way that you can know God. There is no way for you to know God unless you come through me. And, 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 and anyone that would say that today would just be shunned and mocked because of their presumption or pres Presumption, is that a word? Presume, I don't know. Presumptuous, that's a word. I don't know where that fits in that sentence, but that's definitely a word. Um, and then we asked the question at the end of, of the service last week, so, so who does Jesus reveal the Father to? And then he's gonna answer that in verse 28. Verse 28, he says, come to me all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all of you. Anybody that can hear the sound of my voice, all of you, come to me. Everybody gets the invitation right where they are. No matter what's going on in their lives, no matter what kind of baggage they have, no matter how they've been treated, no matter how they've treated others, all of you come to me, Jesus says. And in theory, we love that because we can apply that to ourselves, right? Like Jesus, Jesus picked me, he called me. But then in practice, we have, a, we have a list of people that that doesn't apply to. 
oh, you, you need to change some things about your life before you come to Jesus. The lifestyle you live, you can't come to Jesus like that. The politics you have, you can't come to Jesus like that. I just think you're a little weird. I don't really want you to come to Jesus, right? Maybe that's what it is. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, all of you, no matter where you are, no matter what's going on, no matter, it doesn't, doesn't matter what you did last night, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. What does it mean to be weary? To be weary is to be tired. How many of us are tired? Being, being weary is a subjective reality. There's, there's, there's objective reality, which is the way things are, and then there's subjective reality, which is how we feel about them. Being weary is a subjective reality. But the important thing to know about that is, is being weary is a real thing. This has been very hard for me um, all the way back to when I was a, a, a young teenager. Uh, if, you've, if some of you know me from that time, and I was kind of a jerk, I'm still probably kind of a jerk, but I'm less of a jerk, I think, my wife tells me. Um, but, uh, but the, like, I, I found it very hard to have empathy and compassion on people. And the reality is, like, if you're tired, if you feel weary, that's a real thing. My, all the women in my family, which is everyone in my family, um, are afraid of spiders. Joanna's gotten better. I, I've rubbed off a little on her over the years. She's gotten better with spiders. But my girls are so afraid of spiders. And so I will hear like a blood-curdling scream, and I'll run into the bedroom, Daddy, daddy, there's a spider, there's a spider. And it's like this tiny little thing. You can't even make out the legs of it because it's so small. And what I want to say, and unfortunately what I do say sometimes is, you shouldn't be afraid of that. That can't hurt you. Grow up, you big baby. <laughs> that's, that's my own childhood trauma right there. <laughs> but the reality is, even if maybe that's true, even if that spider couldn't possibly hurt anyone, that fear is real. My daughter is actually afraid of that tiny little bug. And, and what's going on in her heart in that moment is real. Even if I don't feel that way, it's not my fear, it's hers. And so Jesus, I think, is, is very powerfully, he's not judging whether or not you're tired enough or too tired. He's just saying, are you tired? Do you feel weary? Because if we don't get this, there's two things that we can do that I think are both pretty unfortunate. And the one thing is we can say, they're not weary. They don't even know what weary is. My, I'm weary. Let me tell you what weary is really like. And we can look down on people in, in their real pain. Or on the other hand, we can say, you know what, I know a lot of people that go through a lot of stuff worse than me. And so I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to ask for prayer. I don't want to put, put my, my needs before God's people. I'm not going to even bring it up to God because it's, it's, my problems aren't even worth it. 
But Jesus doesn't make a judgment there. He just says, are you weary? Do you feel tired? Then you should come. And he says, are you burdened? See, burden means weighed down. That's an objective reality. There are actually things in your life that are weighing you down. Maybe they're physical things. Maybe your body doesn't work the way you want it to. Maybe they're financial things. Maybe there's relational problems or emotional challenges or medical needs. These are real things that burden us. But then the crazy thing is there's also a subjective reality to a burden. Some of you know that we're selling our home and um, I've got a bunch of woodworking equipment in our garage and I've got a table saw. It's, it's, a, it's a nice, like, decent-sized contractor saw. It's got a cast iron top and I put this extra cast iron router table on it. It's pretty cool. It weighs like 7 million pounds. And I asked my brother-in-law, Brian, if he would be interested in keeping it in his garage while we kind of packed stuff up and got ready to sell our house. And him and, and my sister-in-law are woodworkers. And so they said, yeah, they'd love to do that. And so he pulled the truck up to my house and we were going to lift this table saw into the bed of the truck. And in that moment, my entire goal was not to completely look like a wuss in front of my brother-in-law because when we picked up this table saw, the physics of it says that half of us get each, you know, we, we, half of the load goes to each of us, right? That's the way it works when two people pick something up. And it's going to take every sinew of every muscle in my body to get this thing three feet in the air. And I'm pretty confident Brian could have done it all by himself, but he was just letting me help <laughs> to make me feel good. <laughs> We were both carrying the same burden, but it was much, much heavier for me. And again, I think it's important to see that, that Jesus isn't judging the burden you're carrying. And we shouldn't be judging the burdens that we're carrying around us. Oh, you know, I've dealt with way worse than that. They're just whining. They need to buck up. They need to just, you know, get over themselves. Maybe. But the burden that they're carrying is a real thing, and it's really weighing them down. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus promises relief from the burden. He promises restoration from the weariness. It sounds like something that all of us could use a little bit of. Verse 29, he says, take up my yoke and learn from me. And this is where he brings in that yoke metaphor, this idea of, of the tool that's meant to help you carry the burdens of your life. This thing that's supposed to make it easier to get through what you have to get through. And Jesus is, Jesus is constantly saying crazy stuff. And I think I say that every week as we walk through the Gospel of Matthew, but, but I don't think we realize, especially if we've grown up in the church, how crazy the stuff that Jesus says is. Because Jesus is talking about himself 
like the other teachers talked about the Bible. And it made perfect sense for the Jewish people to hear, read your Bible, use the yoke of the Torah, use the yoke of the scriptures to help you through your life. But Jesus doesn't say that. He says, use me. Here I am, my yoke. He doesn't offer us a body of literature to help us get through life. He offers us a person. He offers us himself. And that's not to downplay scripture. We talk all the time about how scripture is God's word and how we It's the foundation of what we believe about life and we study it every week. But what Jesus is doing is he's saying, more than scripture, you have me. Be like me, join me, follow me. Take up my yoke and learn from me. He says, because I am lowly and humble in heart. This again is, this is a funny thing for Jesus to say, because if you, if you were living in first century Greco-Roman culture, you wouldn't say something like this. Um, we, we don't see this because so much of the world that we live in is influenced by Jesus. Like Jesus, whether you're a Christian or not, Jesus is like the most influential person in the history of the world. And we live in a culture where being humble is a good thing. Like it's a, it's a positive trait. Like, man, that guy's so humble. Yeah, I know. Isn't that great? Just love him. He's so humble. But in Jesus' day, to be humble was to be weak. Being humble was not a compliment. To, the idea of humility would have been the same as Humiliation men and women in the first century. Um, Aristotle, who, who was a philosopher who wrote a, several hundred years before Jesus, he talked about humility and he, he talked about it in a way that he said it was the, an ethic of dogs. Because when you have two dogs, the weaker dog lays down in front of the stronger dog so the stronger dog won't bite them. That was his understanding of what it meant to be humble. And, and it, was, it was an insult. Like people are above humility. Humility is for dogs. And so if Jesus is bragging here, I am, I am lowly and humble in heart, it doesn't really help his case. But he's not doing that. He's giving us an example once again of how upside down God's reality is from our reality. The kingdom of heaven, which Jesus has said multiple times he's ushering in, has a completely separate set of rules than the kingdom of earth. And at first, it it just doesn't make sense because if I'm weary and burdened, if I'm the guy on the Nile with the stick across my shoulders and some heavy buckets that I'm carrying, I need strength, I need power. And, And Jesus seems to be offering that. His yoke is better. His yoke will relieve your burdens, but then... But then he says he's lowly and humble. It's, it's like he's talking nonsense. I think of, we, 
as we've uh, owned our home and remodeled it over the years, there's been many times where, where I've had to carry stuff. And like uh, fairly recently, I was installing some, some closet doors for my oldest daughter and they're like solid core wood doors and they're fairly heavy. And I'd pick them up and try to get them through the doorway and Nora, my six-year-old would run up and go, daddy, I'll help you, I got this. And it's just silly. Like, I mean, if I let go of any of this weight, it will crush you, child. But she's like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick it up and stuff. And there's just like this incongruity with like the ability for her to actually be strong. And obviously she's not strong. And, and Jesus is talking about how he's strong and he can carry these burdens and he can give you rest because he's humble and lowly. And his audience would have thought, well, that doesn't make any sense. Henry Nouwen says, the story of our salvation stands radically over and against the philosophy of upward mobility. The greatest paradox scripture reveals to us is that real and total freedom is only found through downward mobility. The word of God, Jesus, came down to us and lived among us as a slave. The divine way is indeed the downward way. And we see this over and over and over again in the life of Jesus. And then in Jesus' followers that write the rest of the New Testament, the apostle Paul exalts in humility. He says, when I am weak, that's when Christ is strong in me. It's this completely upside down way of looking at the world. And this is who Jesus is. This is the mission that Jesus is on, but it's also the way that Jesus treats us. We can also read, I am lowly and humble as, in heart as the kind of treatment we get when we come to Christ. Like he doesn't, he's not a drill sergeant. He's not a stern boss. He's gracious and loving as he leads. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. I think one of the things that immediately strikes me here is that Jesus doesn't say, and I will take your burdens away. I will fix your problems. He says, you will find rest for your souls. Jesus doesn't promise that your circumstances are going to change when you follow him. He promises that your soul will be relieved. Dallas Willard defines the soul as what is running your life at any given moment. It is the life center of the human being. He also says the soul exists within an infinite environment of which at our best, we have little knowledge. We only know that God is over it all and that the soul, if it can only acknowledge its wounded condition, manifests amazing capacities for recovery when it finds its home in God and receives his grace. Willard says there's, the soul is something that we can't quite get our minds wrapped around. It's, it's, it's deep inside people, but it runs people. It's the center of who we are and everything that we do and say and think springs out of it. 
And the reality is only God can fully get to it. But if we allow him to get to it, if we allow him to do his work on us, that deep work in our, our, our most intimate parts, then we find relief, then we find recovery and healing through his grace. If I can find my rest in Jesus, I don't have to strive for the things that I'm burdened with. Joanne and I were talking with a friend uh, earlier this week and, and, and they were struggling with some financial decisions. They have some opportunities before them and they could go this way or they could go this way or some third way or whatever. And, and they're just, they were afraid of like, well, what if, I, what if I do this and I lose my money or what if I do this and it doesn't work out the way I, I want it to? And as we talked and prayed, we just kind of came to this place where we, we found rest in, it really doesn't matter what happens. If, if you do this and, and, and it was a mistake and you lose all your money, you're still safe in the arms of Jesus. If you do this other thing and, and it doesn't turn out the way you thought, like that's not your goal, that's not your hope, that's not your rock, it's Christ. And even if you find yourself poor and destitute for, in some weird way, like you have Jesus. And like when you can get to that place where you can rest in him no matter what happens, like that's what he's talking about here. Verse 30 says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So it's funny, this, this idea for my yoke is easy. It's a pretty terrible translation, easy. And all of, all of the major Bible translations use it. And I think I know why they use it because um, the word easy is, is the Greek word krestos and it means kind. And to think about an inanimate object, to think about a yoke and, and describe it as kind seems a little weird. But I actually kind of like it. Like the yoke of Jesus is kind. Because I know from my experience, following Jesus, giving my life to Christ is not easy. Like in any, any of us in here that have walked with Christ for any amount of time would go, yeah, no, that's true. It's not easy. Like it's hard. Day by day, you have to, give things up that you want because of other things that are better. You have to trust in him to provide in ways that maybe you wouldn't have to if you did it for yourself. Following Christ is, um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says that following Christ is an invitation to come and die. Like Jesus' yoke is not easy, but it is kind, like that word says. The way of Jesus is kind. The one walking with Jesus can find peace and joy, even in the midst of brokenness and pain and, and strife and struggle. God's spirit in us is gracious and good. And Jesus then says, my burden is light. And I think this is such, such an interesting way for him to end this passage. 
because you feel like he's gearing up to say, I'm going to take away all your burdens and everything's going to be easy from now on. And, but then he says, no, I've got a different burden for you. And you think like, what? I thought I was, thought I was heavy and overworked. I was weary and burdened and I need to get rid of this stuff. And, and then he gives me something else. See, Jesus' answer here is not so much to carry the burdens we have, but to replace them, replace the burdens that we are carrying. If you're burdened with relational strife or financial debt or sin that you can't seem to shake or, or grief or bitterness or, or whatever the burden is, Jesus' goal isn't to pick that up and carry it for you. Jesus is saying, leave that there and take this instead. Drop what you are carrying and carry what I have for you. The prophet Micah, who wrote several hundred years before Jesus, in chapter 6, verse 8 of his book, writes, Mankind, he has told each of you what is good and what it is the Lord requires of you, to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. This is one of many instances in Scripture where God just lays out, this is what I want my people to be about. There are, there are a certain set of things, goodness and kindness and purity and love and generosity and, and seeking out those in need and, and being representatives of Christ in the world. These are things that I want my people to be burdened with. And when we do those things, when we exercise those things, when we set whatever we think is important down and pick those things up instead, what we find is that burden is light. That burden, that yoke is kind. Jesus is not, following Jesus is not about having whatever your pet burden is carried for you. It's about having them removed from your, um, from your care and being replaced with Jesus' burden. That doesn't mean they, do, they go away. That doesn't mean they get easier necessarily, but it does mean that where your heart lives, where your soul is focused, is on the things that Jesus is about. Dallas Willard again um, says, what we most learn in Jesus' yoke is to abandon outcomes to God, accepting that we do not have in ourselves the wherewithal to make this come out right, whatever this is. And I really like that. I mean, whatever this is for you, whatever, whatever the other side of this wall looks like, whatever the goal at the end of this process is, we don't have what it takes to see it through. And so part of what it means to follow Jesus is just saying, God, these burdens are yours. You take care of these things. I can't do it. I can't lift it. I can't carry it. I'm going to carry this other thing that you've given me. Kindness and goodness and justice and peace.
another book I was reading this week. It's called The Way of the Dragon or The Way of the Lamb. And if it's about, it's about how we're supposed to deal with power as Christians. And it's a, I, would, I highly recommend it if, if, you've, if you've not read it. It's a really good book. But a couple things that the authors bring up in that book is at one point they talk about trusting in Jesus versus trusting in Jesus for sin. And I think this is a really important thing to remember because we hear a lot in the church that we need to trust Jesus to take our sin away. And that's true, right? Jesus died for our sin. He took our sin on the cross. And by grace, through faith, we can be given new life by believing in him, by trusting that he has removed our sin and our guilt from us. And yes, and amen to that. But if we're not careful, we can just relegate Jesus to the cross. Like that was what Jesus was for, taking our sin away. Now that my sin's been taken care of, now I have to go take care of everything else on my own. Now I have to go be a good Christian by myself. Jesus has taken my sin away. But trusting in Jesus, Jesus' call, all of you who are weary and burdened, put my yoke on. This is a daily walk with Christ. Every day, every minute, giving myself over to what Jesus' priorities are for me. Jesus removes my sin from me on the cross and praise God for that. But he doesn't just leave me there. It's like, okay, I did my job. I'm going back to heaven now. He, he gives me his Holy Spirit. This is, there's, there's several places in the New Testament where the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Jesus. Jesus says, I'm gonna go and it's better that I go because I'm gonna send the Spirit to you and he's gonna be in you And the disciples are like, what do you mean you're going to go? How could that possibly be better for us? But then in the book of Acts, the spirit falls on the church and thousands of people meet Christ that day. And the church explodes. And that power is in this room, in the hearts of every one of us who has said, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be yours, God. Take my sin and replace it with your righteousness. And so let us be people that that don't just go, yeah, Jesus washed my sin away and now I have to take the rest of it on myself. But remember that Jesus washed my sin away and then gave me himself to walk day by day in his priorities, in his joy, in his peace. The other thing that comes up in this book that I was reading today is when something happens in my world, when there's a crisis, my first inclination is, how do I fix this? Do you ever feel that way? Like there, the, the bill is due or the, the relationship is breaking or there's a, someone has wronged me. Okay, what do I need to do to fix this? I've heard that that's like a guy problem, that guys want to fix things and women just want to talk about it. I don't think that's true. (laughs) I think women want to fix things too. I think they just articulate that differently. I don't like this. I want it fixed. I want it different. I want it changed. I want to get rid of it. And I never ask the question, 
What does it look like to just rest in Jesus in the midst of this thing? What if it's not supposed to be fixed right now? What if the goal of whatever this is is for me to lean into Christ, to rest in Christ in the midst of chaos, to put that burden down, to pick his burden up, and to walk in his peace and his love, even though things seem to be falling apart around me? That's a hard question to ask. It's even a hard, it's a harder thing to do. But I think there are times when that might be the point. Instead of running to solving that problem in my own strength, it's, okay, Jesus, I'm just gonna sit here for a little bit and let you do some work on my soul while this goes on around me. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is kind and my burden is light. We celebrate the Lord's table every week when we gather. And, and, and the communion meal, we talk about it all the time. It, it means a lot of things. But this is, this is the ultimate example of Jesus being lowly and humble. Jesus said, I'm the Messiah. I'm the conquering king. I'm gonna set all things right. And everybody went, yes, military victory is at hand. And then Jesus went to the cross and he was killed. And in his humility, in his humiliation even, the cross was a horrific thing. That is what conquered death. And he rose from the dead, victorious against sin and death and the enemies of God, not by being proud, not by being strong, but by being weak, by being lowly. And we get to remember that in the bread, in the cup, we also get to remember that, that our participation in the communion meal is a reminder that Christ is in us. Christ is our food. Jesus is our nourishment. And so if you come up and you take the bread and the cup, remind yourself that the rest for your soul comes from the spirit of Christ who lives in you. And so we're gonna, we're gonna sing some more. Um, the communion table will be open. Feel free to sit or stand or, or kneel or uh, just worship God however you feel comfortable. And whether, you're, whether you feel like you're far from God and you, you haven't been pursuing Jesus like you ought or whether you feel like God has completely left you. Like I've, I've felt that way before walking with Jesus for a number of years and going like, I don't feel the spirit. I don't know what's going on. I feel like I'm in a wasteland. Whether you're struggling with sin that you can't shake or whether you've got relationships that are broken and don't seem to be healing or maybe you've got financial problems that you can't see past, whatever it is, 
I just encourage you to take some time and come to Jesus. Spend some time talking to Jesus and say, I want what you have. Participate in the communion meal uh, and then and sing with us as we remind each other of who God is through the lyrics of these songs. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for an opportunity to gather in this place this morning. God, your, your promise to us is comforting and it's confusing, God. And in the midst of our burdens, we seek after power and might and authority and increase. And you say, that's not the way that the kingdom of God works. Instead of trying to get up, we need to go down. God, help us to go down into you, to be humble like you. God, help us to take the things that we're burdened with and and, and not, not anticipate that you will fix them for us, that you will carry them for us, but that we would trust you and set them down. God, empower us by your spirit. God, your Holy Spirit is in us. If we are Christians, if we are yours, you have promised that. Maybe some of us feel far from you. You're right here. God, I, I pray that, that, that we would hear your voice. God, the distance between us is, is not you, it's us. God, refresh us. Give us rest. Help us trust that your way, your way that's so weird sometimes, is better. God, give us courage to trust when we're afraid. In these next few moments, just speak. You know what we all need to know, what we all need to hear. Some of us need comfort. Some of us need exhortation. Some of us maybe need rebuke. But God, you are gentle. You are kind. I just pray that you would work in our midst this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Revelation Church Coeur d'Alene podcast. Learn more about Revelation Church at revelationcda.com.